So this is the second week of Advent, this season that's supposed to get us ready for Christmas. Uh, last week, uh, Carrie Gleason started off with one of the prophets with the story of Daniel, and she reminded us that the season of Advent is about learning to wait for God to step in, learning to wait for God to save, and then use the story of Daniel to say waiting is not passive. We need to learn to live in a way that shows we are trusting that God will show up as we wait. This second week, when we combine waiting, again, with bad news, we, um, we learn again. I, I would like to, um, I don't even have to guess. I know that every person in this room either has experienced bad news this month or is sitting near someone that they care about that has. And when we continue waiting with bad news, what happens is we develop something called longing. Advent is a season of recognizing our longing. What do we long for? I want a different future. What do I long for? That's why the prophets are so good. The prophet we're talking about today is Joel. The Bible never tells us exactly when Joel wrote. It probably, probably Joel lived about 20 years after Daniel, last week's person. Remember Daniel in the lion's den, his four friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the furnace. They're in exile. Then the Persians, about 20 years after Daniel, the Persians let some of the Jews return to Jerusalem. And they rebuild the temple, and they build a wall around Jerusalem, and they start to live semi-independent lives again. That's probably when Joel talks. But even though we don't know exactly when, the truth is that Joel's message has a timeless quality to it. It could apply to any part of the biblical story, or I believe, to your story. Now, I, I got to... I, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking how many of you have read through the story of Joel or who could even find the book of Joel, because I couldn't. Before I went to cemetery, seminary, uh, before, I went, before I went to seminary, it was just a word. And I had an Old Testament survey professor who insisted that we uh, read through the whole Old Testament during his class. That seemed to make sense. But then he also said, I want you to memorize one verse from every book of the Old Testament, a theme verse. And he told us what that would be from Genesis all the way to Malachi. So 39 books, 39 verses. When we got to the book of Joel, he said, who can tell me what the theme verse of Joel is? And half the class raised their hands and I pretended that I lost my pencil because I, I was a fairly new Christian. I didn't know. He goes, that's right, there's one famous verse in Joel, and we're not going to memorize that. And he said, there's one famous image. And what I want to teach you is that the prophets are used by God to grab people's heart through images, through visions. So let's look at Joel. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Listen, all of you, young and old alike, everybody who lives in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or the days of your ancestors? Tell about this to your kids. Let your children tell it to their children. 
their children to the next generation. This is big news that will last a long time. What's the problem with news that lasts a long time? It stops being news. It starts being history. That's what we're in danger of doing with the Bible, taking the news, turning it into history, asking, will this be on the test? Reading over and over, yeah, I know it's important, this history we're reading, but is 1492, is that the Mayflower or Columbus? The role of the prophet is to keep it alive, keep our hearts engaged. So in chapter 2, Joel says, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, let everybody who lives in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming and it is dark and gloomy, it's clouds and blackness. He's trying to raise the temperature on this message that goes for a long time. I, I got a picture of that what that must have sounded like uh, when about 30 of us went to Israel this last March. And part of our trip to Israel was we took a bus ride down to the Gaza Strip, and just outside of Gaza is a, a series of small towns that have grown up around it, and we went to the police station of one of these small Jewish towns because we wanted to visit something that shows what they worry about the most. This picture is what they worry about the most. It's a scrap heap, right? Actually, those are homemade missiles. They connect, they collect homemade rockets and missiles that are fired off from inside the territory of Gaza. These people feel like they're in a prison camp for two million people. And the only way they can get attention is to fire off rockets, homemade rockets. They fire them off, they don't know where they're going to land. And they collect them here as a reminder of the danger. They do more than that when they see what it looks like. And this second picture is what it looks like. That's a rocket going out of Gaza. When they see that, they respond. The, the Jews do. And uh, two ways. When the heat bloom comes up on the radar, they see the heat bloom of a missile, they hit a button and all over Israel, alarms sound. It's called the Iron Dome. The alarm sounds, and within a 25-mile radius of Gaza, the sirens go off, and children are taught they have 40 seconds, 40 seconds to get into a shelter. They're in the police station, the fire station, the schools. They run to the bus stations, and there's an underground spot where they can hide. They don't have to do as many drills as we do in school because it happens for real. That's what the prophet Joel is doing. He's not saying, and then the, th the next thing he's going, hey, wake up! It's coming. What's the warning about? Well, the warning is the verse that my professor had us memorize. It's chapter 1, verse 4. When the cutting locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. I was so confused, I had no idea what was going on. And the professor explained that this is a metaphor for what happens literally in this part of the world. You want to see a swarm of locusts, it looks like this. 
But when you get closer to the swarm of locusts, it looks like this. There's all different kinds of locusts, and between them, they lay waste to everything in front of them. And the scariest part is that people are living right in the middle of it when it happens. He says the locusts are central to Joel because it's a series of disasters that leave everyone in its path battered and broken. Originally, it was probably used as a metaphor to describe the invading armies from the north, the Assyrians, the the Babylonians, who devastate the land. But what Joel wants to make sure people hear, what my professor said I needed to preach, was that the locusts are still alive. The locusts are still here today. And we are, in many ways, battered and afraid of them. Best book I've read in the last three or four years about poverty and its relief is by Gary Haugen, and it's called The Locust Effect. Gary, the head of IJM, International Justice Mission, says, you can build all the wells you want, and you can teach people how to rotate crops. You can set up small industries that people will get out of poverty with, and it does not make a difference if, before you leave, You require the end of violence because if you leave, the bullies are attracted to the new wheat. The bullies are attracted to the new money. The bullies are attracted to the clean water and they come like locusts and they leave nothing but destruction in its wake. That's an extreme example, but it's personal, isn't it? We are, uh, we are in a societal time right now here in the States and especially abroad where people feel weird. They feel off balance. They feel like things could go wrong. They hear this, the gnawing of the locusts. But it also gets personal. I had, a, um, I had sort of a rough week last week and being a pastor, I do what pastors do. I whined about it. I, uh, I sent a note to three or four of my friends, and I said, it's been a sort of a tough week. Would you pray for me? And uh, the thing that struck me is uh, I got, within 24 hours, I got four responses from them. Uh, one of them said, you too. One of them said, I remember what that felt like. The third one says, tell me about it. I work for the Vikings. The third one, the, <laughs> my friends, my friends were great because they said, um, we will pray for you. We hear the locusts gnaw too. My, uh, my friend, uh, Bruce Locklear, who is the principal at Edina High School, would tell you that the locusts are at high schools. And you'd believe that if you saw the number of kids on antidepressants. The locusts are in our houses, and you'd believe that if you saw the level of anti-anxiety medicines the strain of our society. It's the human condition. And it doesn't matter if you are in the Congo or in Bloomington. It's the human condition. Locusts aren't about us being bad or us doing bad alone. It is about us living in a broken world. And so when the, the prophet Joel says, you need to repent. He's not saying, you did something wrong. He's saying, you need to change the direction of your heart. You need to put your trust in God again instead of whether you're going to get the new job again. You need to put your trust in God in a fresh way instead of worrying about where your kid will come back or not. 
the locusts are here. Advent is a time where the broken-hearted wait for God to save. There's an Old Testament professor named Walter Brueggemann. Brueggemann said, we cannot truly open our hearts to wait on God to act until we acknowledge just how bad it is. Until we enter into the pain of being human and realize that in the end, nothing we do protects us from this pain, then we're mostly just on our own, doing it ourselves, trying our best, even proud of being religious people. Then he uses this great line. I love this line. The work of grief is the precondition of joy. You cannot experience real joy until you admit your grief. Because when you grieve or when you grieve together, you make room in our hearts and lives for the kingdom of God to emerge in amazing ways. So Joel says, repent, come home, trust God again. Verse 12, even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Return with all your heart. Rip apart your heart and not your clothes. Return to the Lord, for he's gracious. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. And for Joel, the thing is, they did repent, and God did relent, and the Jews were brought back into the, into the safety of Jerusalem. It says, the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity. He replenished the fields, drove the enemies away, broke the drought and the fire with rain, and the people came home. Joel is broken into two parts. There's, there's the part that says a terrible locust plague is coming as a judgment from God, and people repented, and God restored them. And then the second half of the book is them sitting in the temple, the freshly rebuilt temple, saying, so what happens next? And looking out and seeing the locusts, and Joel says, it's not over yet. He points to how God at some future time will act different. This here is the famous verse in the book of Joel. Then you'll know that I'm in Israel and that I am the Lord your God. There is no other. And afterwards... Not now, Joel says, but afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old will dream dreams. Your young will see visions, and even the servants, even the men and women servants, I'll pour my spirit out on them and show wonders. The whole story of the Old Testament is about God's plan to redeem creation, to make it right. Here's Joel. Joel is standing in the temple in Jerusalem, and Joel's a Jew. Jews look back and see how God restored the temple, how so much was good, but Jews also look out, and they see the locusts and the devastation and the injustice that continued, and Joel longed for the day Long for the day when the Messiah would come and give people the Spirit. This is the second Sunday of Advent. We stand in the middle. We wait in the middle. We look at everything God has done. We stand here as followers of the Messiah that Joel talked about. Jesus, who reconciled us through his death and resurrection and gave us life. And that's good. 
And yet, just like Joel, we look out the windows, and beneath the pretty snow, we hear the locusts, and we see the injustice of a broken world that God longs for us not to turn our backs on. This Advent, we want to see what happens next. And we want to wait and see what happens next, especially for people whose hearts are anxious. Is that you? Is that somebody you know? Especially for people whose hearts are broken. Joel, Joel speaks for you. Parker Palmer is a Christian writer. He's got this great quote. He says, you know, a broken heart isn't necessarily a bad thing. You think of something broken apart and shattered and it's like glass, but it could also be something broken open, broken apart or broken open, broken open like a crack in a seed that's about to sprout. Opening our hearts to pain increases our capacity for hope so that through the cracks, God's newness can emerge. That's what we long for. That's what our hearts long for at Christmas, that God's love would emerge through the cracks where the presence of God's justice and God's redemption would roll over the creation, where the baby boy king would have the breath of the fear of the Lord, and his breath would put his spirit on all of us so we wouldn't have to be afraid anymore. Would you pray? Lord Jesus, we're going to end here at the table. The table that you gave us when you became an adult and you promised that you would offer us food that the locust could never destroy. That you would take your body and stretch it out on a cross and let it be broken for us and and offer us the bread of life. That you would slit open your veins And your blood would wash us clean and forgive us that the locusts would never be able to take away what you give to us here. Bless us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit with your food. Amen. Amen.